Welcome to our podcast. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization, and a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to connect with you soon. Wow, so here we go. So why, why is Christianity so hard? Right, like I've been thinking about this over the last few months, and of course it's always challenging and difficult, but like I'm thinking about what's been going on, and I've been thinking about the churches, and I've been talking to a lot of my colleagues and peers. Why is it so hard? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Jesus is king of the universe. Following Jesus should come with some sort of benefits that make life not so hard. And yet, that doesn't seem to be what many of us are experiencing. Seems like we've lost the culture war. There's increasing government pressure and social pressure here at home. There's global persecution levels. Churches are fractured, and I don't mean like just now. I mean throughout history and around the world, there are more types of Christians than you could actually count. And so we look at this thing and we go, what is going on? Christians are bickering like offended children on a playground, rather than going out and preaching the gospel of Christ's love to our neighbors and learning how to love our enemies, like the things that we were actually called to do. Compromise with the dominant culture is routine for today's Christians. You go back to the beginning of the Revelation and you look at the seven churches, which we'll be doing in a few weeks, and you see it has been this way from the beginning. It's always been this way. Why is Christianity so hard? No, like really, I'm asking you, like why? It wasn't rhetorical. Like why is it so hard? Like why is it so hard? What makes, like what pops into your head when I say that? Because what I'm hoping is the reading from 13, Revelation 13 that Tracy just did, guides your thinking here. See, we are in the midst of an epic war. But it isn't a war between nations and it's not a war between foreigners and citizens. It's not a war between the rich and the poor or the rest of us. It's not a war between the powerful and the disenfranchised. It's not a war between religions or even political ideologies. It it is a war that on one side is the lamb and his followers. And on the other side is the dragon and his beastly minions. Now it shows up in all sorts of proxy wars, but the real battle is being waged by the dragon against Jesus and against you and against you and against you and you and you and and me. 
to what the dragon does. So here we are in the midst of this series, Thy Kingdom Come. It's a series that, uh, if you had told me in January, by the way, that we would be preaching a series in the run-up to the election that ties in the political climate of the day and one of the most challenging books of the Bible and that we would actually be talking about the very things that are dividing the nation, I would not have thought that were possible. But this has been an interesting year, and so decisions uh, get made, and we try to do our best following the leading of God. And so here we are talking about the book of Revelations and politics all mixed up in one and figuring why not just keep stirring this pot and see what cooks. And so we have this election about to happen in case you don't live here or listen to social media or any, I know you wouldn't possibly know this, but we've got a whole lot to cover here this morning. Uh, I've got a ton more than I normally would try to cover in one morning, but it's kind of like the last shot I get before the election. So we got three beasts, we got lots of numbers, we got metaphors and symbols, and we got multiple application points and a whole bunch of political points, and we've got the Antichrist, and we've got the meaning of, you know, the, the number, the mark, the 666, and of course, I'm going to tell you who I'm voting for and how you should vote as well. So we got to really get, we've really got to get, uh, get moving. So, so here we go. There is a dragon, and this, this beast wages a masterful and a violent war against Jesus and his followers. Revelation 13 you could follow along, you could keep it open. We're going to be in the text, the, the whole message here. Verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So this, now the very first time we meet this dragon, interestingly, he seemed more like an inquisitive and wise sort of philosophical servant, right? Because the first time we meet him is actually at the very, very beginning of the book of the, the book, the Bible, which is Genesis, the very first book in the third chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Sowing a little bit of a seed of doubt into the word of God. And this, what starts off so almost inquisitively in, innocent, begins to unfold over the course of the whole of the scriptures. We see him show up in the prophet's we see this dragon show up at the temptation of Jesus. And we, show, we see him now at the climax of the Bible, in the book of the Revelation, and we see him now with all of his true colors. His power is more clearly seen. His size, his, his clever deceits, they're being exposed. And he is a terrifying, and a, he is ravenous to kill and destroy, and he is hell-bent on one mission, destroying the kingdom of God and all who follow Jesus. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus this, this morning, then the dragon has you in his sights. That's what the scriptures continually teach us. So why is following Christ so difficult? Well, because there is a dragon waging a war against you. And that's not all. There is also a beast. A beast from the sea. And this beast will use human governments to mislead and to minimize and to molest the followers of Jesus. This is a little bit of something called the apocalypse Tapestry. This is actually kind of a side thing. I just found it. I stumbled on it. This 
uh, this uh, week for the very first time. I didn't even know this thing exists. That is actually a huge portion of this tapestry. It is now on my bucket list. It's in France. It was completed in 1382. It is 20 feet high. It is 436 feet long in its original uh, version. Uh, they don't have all of it anymore, designed by Hennequin de Bourgue from 1300. It's, it's a spectacular piece, and there's just a little part of it here, which is the sea creature. It's called the Apocalypse Tapestry. And in there, you'll see the sea, because, of course, we also have the sea in our story. I saw a beast, this is verse 1, coming out of the sea. It had ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on its horn, and on each head a blasphemous name. So the sea, as we saw earlier in the book of Revelation, and really throughout the ancient Near East, as well as many parts of the scriptures, the sea is actually the symbol of chaos. So at the very beginning, again, Genesis, you've got to go back to all the Bible to, to kind of understand what Revelation is doing here. But, so you've got the sea, and you have the Spirit of God over the face of the deep. And the deep is the chaos. And out of the sea, God births the land. And the land is going to be the order that God is creating amidst the chaos. It's his foothold. It's his D-Day, right? It's, it's Normandy for the retaking of this chaotic planet that the dragon rules. And so God pulls order out of the chaos and he births in it the land and in that land, he creates all sorts of life and order. And of course, on the sixth day, he creates humanity. And he says it's very good, but it was out of the chaos that it came. And so it has always been the sea trying to destroy the chaotic, the, the, the order that God had produced. It's chaos against the order of God. And so the sea became a symbol of that. And of course, here what we see is the it is now the sea giving birth to something very different. It gives birth to the beast. The beast of the sea. Ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns. This points to how the, the heads point to how the beast manifests itself in many different ways by many different names. All blasphemous. The horns are a symbol of its incredible power. Its crowns, the fact that it has legitimate authority. Illegitimate from God's kingdom perspective, but legitimate from an earthly perspective, it has horns and crowns. The beast of the sea is found in human governments throughout time. It's described, we saw it, right? We heard it. The beast was resembled a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth of a lion. Dragon gave the beast its power and throne and great authority. So what does that all mean? Well, you have to go back now to the prophets and the book of Daniel to know what John, who wrote the Revelation, is actually doing. So you go to Daniel 7, and it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Once again, in Daniel, the sea is producing this. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now you can guess what they're going to be. It's the lion. The second beast looked like a bear. After that, beast before him was one that looked like a leopard. The same beasts that are mentioned in the Revelation. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and it devoured its victims. It trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. Sound like our beast? I think what John is seeing here is a composite 
So you go back to the book of Daniel, you find out what those beasts represented, and it gives you the hint as to what it means in the Revelation. In Daniel, these were the nations that were going to rise up on the, on the national scene, on the international scene, and they were going to do the work of the dragon on earth. So it's Babylon and Persia and it's Greece and it's the Roman Empire. And Daniel, he sees all of these things. He's predicting all of these things. And it isn't just those particular nations. It's every nation that rises up and does the work of the dragon. And so here in the Revelation, they're all rolled up in one because now there is one beast, but it has parts of every beast. And this composite points to the fact that Daniel knew that there were these risings and fallings and risings again of these beastly nations. So the beast is the beast of human government that is divorced from God's ways. Yes, Babylon and Persia and the Medo Empire and uh, Greece and Rome and, and then Europe and then France and Britain and Russia. My day, I guess it was the USSR. Then Russia. U.S., China, will we be free of these beastly tendencies? There are so many great challenges facing humanity. So many. Our needs, they run so deep that we desperately cry out to our national and our economic and our scientific saviors in whom we put our faith, hope, and trust. And we do this throughout history. In fact, the beast actually creates a resurrection narrative that will mimic the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Tim Keller, he recommended a book to me and his 500,000 closest friends on Facebook because um, he actually doesn't know me. Uh, but uh, so we saw it on, uh, on Facebook or, or some other social media thing. And they, somebody told me about it. it's political illusions. It's a, it's a really interesting read. I haven't finished all of it yet. Uh, but for those of you who really want to kind of dig into this idea, this would be a great, uh, a great resource for you. It's called Political Visions and Illusions. It's a difficult, it's a more difficult read, um, but uh, it is worth uh, every, uh, every bit that I've put into it so far. There's another great book, by the way, called Surprised by Community, Republicans and Democrats in the Same Pew by Charles Drew. Uh, another great work that uh, I have been using uh, these and some commentaries and, of course, the scriptures as we've kind of worked our way through here. But the point in, in this book, Political Illusions, is that we scholars often point to a very simple sort of plan that you can understand the whole of the Bible, the redemptive plan. There was the creation, there was the fall, there was the redemption and the ultimate restoration. The whole of the gospel story, the whole of the Bible could be described in these four movements. It's also the four movements that make like every single movie that you've ever really loved or novel that you've ever read. It's these same movements that actually will, will inspire your affection and adoration because they're all, they're all a, a, a hint of the real story that, turns our, that, that spurs our heart on toward loving Christ. But this book goes on to point out that there are so many of our 
ideologies that have their own version of these four. And so if you're a liberalist, a liberalist redemptive plan, you have original freedom, then you have the fall, which is oppression, you have liberation by whichever means that particular ideological manifestation goes, and you have the restoration, which is ultimate freedom, unity, and all of those kinds of things. If you come from a more nationalistic perspective, you think of you, it starts with a free nationhood, then that adds to oppression by the enemies that you identify in your particular time and place in history. And that, the goal of that will be liberation, and however you can attain that liberation is going to be key, because that is your redemption. Then, of course, that ends with a restorative nationhood recovered. You see, they're actually creating, they're trying to mimic the very redemptive plan of God. Listen, this beast cannot be destroyed by a sword, at least not a sword that you or I can wield. The head will not be killed and the beast will not die from that sword. So the dragon and the beast, they hate everything about God and his people. Verse 7, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Do you recognize that language? Every tribe, every people, every language, every nation. Remember the Great Commission. Jesus says, go out into all the world. You're going to preach the gospel to everyone. How many times does we're, are we told Abraham was going to bless all of the world, all the nations, all the tribes, all the, the nationality, all of them. And here we find the beast has authority in all of them. So this isn't about one nation. It's not about one ideology. All human efforts to govern ourselves apart from God become beast-like. And if that wasn't bad enough, which of course I wish that was it, we could put a pin in it. I wish that were all, but there is more because there is actually a beast of the earth. Verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So there's a beast of the earth. And this, this beast uses false religion and ideologies in order to mislead and minimize and molest the followers of Jesus. If you notice that the beast here, he has the second beast who comes out of the earth. He has horns like the lamb. So there's more mimicry to the lamb that we met earlier in the Revelation, Jesus. But he's got horns, he has power. But he spoke like the serpent. He's telling the same lies that showed up in Genesis 3. Now this beast seems religious in nature, but I think they, it's, it's even more than that. If you read the next section, which I'm not going to do right, right now, but there are signs and wonders and miracles and there's this breath of life but all of that together, I think, represents the false religions and the ideologies that will ultimately lead us away from Jesus. So we have false preachers, and we have priests, and we have pastors, and there are rabbis, and there are imams. But I think there, are, there is also another form of modern-day prophet. I think there are political pundits, and there are technocrats, and there are scientists, and there are scholars. And, and these are really our modern-day prophets. And what they do is they encourage compromise with the world. And so they're pointing us back to the beast of the sea and saying, in there is where you will find your hope. 
right? So here's the thing, like this isn't simply about false religion. So many years people are like, it's Islam or it's Buddhism when it was the new age thing was happening. They, were always, they try to point at one and say, that's what's going to take over the whole world. Remember, this beast has multiple heads, manifests in many different ways. I think those are part of the beast's lies. But this isn't simply like some one particular false ideology. For some, you're going to say, well, that's got to be liberalism. And others are going to say, that's nationalism. But you see, it isn't any one of these things. All of them are part of the new false religion. And that is every ideology, religious and political, that promotes the autonomy of individuals apart from the saving work of Jesus. It is a religion that says that we will be able to save ourselves. Read Genesis. Look at Babel. It's the same kind of thing. So that brings us to the mark, because why not? Let's talk about the mark of the beast. So, you know, the mark of the beast is uh, something really, really fascinating. Verse 16, it's, uh, it is also forced all people, it also for forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. If you guys push it forward, one to the mark of the beast, because I want them to see this. This is key. You guys have to see it, just so you know, because when I grew up, I was kind of in Pentecostal uh, circles for a few years, and so we knew what uh, the mark of the beast is. If you can wait for it, because it's about to pop up on the screen here. It is, of course, you guys push it through or no? Ah, we're all frozen. Well, then you're not going to be able to see the mark. Sorry about that. I was about to reveal the mark of the beast. So, well, obviously, in my day, we thought it was something like, you know, a barcode or something like that, now a QR code, but we all know, really, it's going to be the microchip, right? It's the microchip that we're using for pets, we're chipping our pets with right now. So, no, it's going to be a microchip embedded under the skin, right? No, no, actually, no, I'm sorry. I realized it wasn't that. It was actually a cashless society, so what it really is, is Apple Pay. That's... That's what it is. So if you've got it in your pocket, and look, most of you, because you're righties, I'm a lefty, so it doesn't apply to me. But if you're a righty, it's your right hand and your forehead. It's a cashless society. It's Apple Pay. You see, the point is every single generation, they create their own explanation of what the mark of the... Some of you are putting your phones down. You're like sliding it away. Is that even possible? Is he joking? He's asked to be joking. Because we all know that it actually is the Trojan horse tracking system that's going to be injected into each person through a COVID-19 vaccine, <laughs> right? Because that's actually going to be the mark of the beast. The point really here is that this is a counterfeit mark. If you remember from earlier in the Revelation, the followers of Christ were marked by Jesus. We were sealed with a mark. This is the beast once again mimicking, trying to mislead and deceive us with a counterfeit mark. So what is this mark? Well, I think it, I think it represents you, your character, your beliefs, your ideologies. I think what it is, is, whoa. That's a little creepy on beast day. 
So this happened a long time ago. We were doing a Good Friday service, and we were doing a burn your sins uh, thing, and uh, we were all burning our sins in this big pot with flash paper, and we thought it was a really, it was dramatic, it was powerful. And right at the end, someone drops the very last of the sins in on this little thing, and the glass shatters. Right there in the middle of this is like the East Williston campus, and there's like wax, and there's fire, and it's spreading over the table. The people had to run and carry the, the table out of the building and all of that. And so I won't tell you who put the last sin in there that made it break because, you know, I don't want to embarrass Kelly Bellawomo, but, um, but it was pretty startling. Uh, so, yeah, talk about the beast and the lights go down. Anyway, so there's the mark. Um, of the beast, of course, what we know it uh, to be. What I think is going on here is that the if you have the ideologies of the beast woven into your very fiber, if it marks the things that you do, that's the symbol of the right hand. If it marks the way that you think, remember this is what the rabbis were told, they have it marked on their hand, the back of their hand, the scriptures of God, and they have them on their forehead. And so if, if it's what you're thinking and it's what you are doing, you are increasingly becoming beast-like. And it plays along real nicely with the number 666. It says, verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Now, it's possible and throughout history, people have tried to actually figure out whose number that is. Clearly, it's this thing, there's this thing you could... All right, so Greek, Hebrew, Latin, they, they all have... Their, the alphabet all has a numeric value. All right, and so you could actually calculate the numeric value of your name if you were in those ancient cultures. And so some people have said, that's what this must be. It's a code. The problem is it wouldn't be a particularly interesting code because if everybody could do the math and figure it out, it wasn't actually a secret. And so, so like, for instance, uh, there's a, I think it's in, like, uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the catacombs. One guy had a little note. He said, you know, the, the woman that I love, her number is 562 or whatever it was. So you could calculate. If you knew who it was, you could kind of work it back and say, oh, look, he's got a crush on so-and-so. I don't know why he was using numbers rather than saying who it was. But, so the, but the point here is that people say, well, that must be it. And so there's been a historical search, of course, to figure out who it is. And a lot of people have pointed to Nero. And it does work if you, like, go from Hebrew and you translate it into Latin and you drop one of the letters or you tweak one of the letters, and then you can almost get it to work out. And so people are like, oh, maybe it's Nero, maybe it's not Nero. But, you know, of course, throughout history... When I was growing up, it was clearly uh, Reagan, right? Ronald Wilson Reagan. There are six letters in each of his names. And did you know his family actually lived at 666 somewhere out in California at one point in time? They had it change, but that was just to deceive us that he wasn't actually the Antichrist. And so, you know, you can really find this about anyone. Obama had all sorts of web pages about him because, you know, he was hope. People actually liked him. And so they were like, yeah, like this could actually be the Antichrist because people really like him and they're putting all their hope in him. And so there's lots of ways to get, you know, the numbers to work out. So it's Obama. Biden has only a few pages. Uh, I'm sure Kamala will have many more when she's president. Um, but, uh, but, of course, the one that has the most is Trump. And so if you really want to have just a completely wasted hour of your life, you could figure out Trump, Mark of the Beast, Google that, and go down a very uh, ridiculous and, and uh, really quite entertaining and repugnant line of reasoning. Anyway, I don't think it's actually pointing to an individual. In fact, even in the grammar, it doesn't say the man. It says a man. It's an indefinite article. It's the mark of man. And I think that's what we're really seeing here. So far, we've seen the numbers show up over and over and over again. When was man created? It was created on the sixth day. 
there are already three rounds of judgment, right? We're going to see these very soon. I think we're going to be looking at them last week, so we have, next week. So we have six, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. If you look at the sixth of each of those, the sixth trumpet, the sixth bowl, the sixth seal, it's God's judgment on humanity. See, six is the number of man. And it points to our incompleteness without God. It's not seven, it's not perfect, it's not eight, it's not new beginnings, it's not 888, which is Jesus. It's not 777, it is six repeated three times, like holy, holy, holy. It talks about our complete incompleteness. All of our governments, all of our ideologies, all of our ideas, we muster them all, we gather them up, we wage war against God, like Babel before us. 666 points to humanity's complete incompleteness. So there it is, right? We have the dragon, he controls a beast, he gets its life from another beast. Together they form this unholy trinity that promises to humanity that it's going to meet our greatest needs and assuage our deepest fears. So here are some takeaways for our contentious political uh, election cycle. This will be fun. As citizens of the one true kingdom, Christians need not worry about the power of the beast. There's one really great piece of news in all of this. The dragon and the beasts are on a short leash. Revelation 13, 5 and 7, we see the power is given to them. And at first we think, oh, it's the dragon giving the power to the beasts. But no, that is not entirely correct. In Daniel, back to Daniel, we get Daniel 4, 17. It says, the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them, what's that say? To anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Remember that next Wednesday. God gives them to anyone he wishes. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate, of course, says, don't you realize I have power? And Jesus says to him, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And I'm sure there are many wise reasons as to why God does what he does and who he puts in office and who he refuses to put in office. And I'm sure there are many inscrutable reasons as well. But as a, at a minimum, God allows these things in order to test the loyalty and the faithfulness of his people. See, now we get to keep our cool in all of the ups and downs. We don't need to be frantic running about. We don't have to have all of the anxiety that the world has. We don't have to beat our breasts and moan and whine. God has got this. So when we vote, do not despair. God will do what God will do, and we don't need to riot in the streets or wail our laments on social media. God has the dragon on a leash by which he will ultimately hang him, and he will swing his carcass into the lake of fire. That's the promise of the revelation. As citizens of the one true kingdom, Christians, we ought to have a holy, sanctified distrust of all human governments and human institutions. 
the dragon and the beast, they create a false trinity. They create an imitation of Christ. There's a false resurrection. There are two competing marks. Compare chapters 4 and 5 to 12 and 13, and you will see that they mimic the Father, they mimic the Son, and they mimic the Holy Spirit. Read the rest of the book of Revelation and you will see it over and over and over again. Sometimes it even gets hard to tell if they're talking about Christ on a white horse or a different kind of white horse. That means there is power in this deception. See, we are incurably religious people. We will always worship and we will either worship the one true God or we will worship the dragon. And as Christ followers, we have got to be suspicious of all political institutions and powers. One of the things that really kind of blew my mind lately is, you know, we've talked about like systemic stuff and structural problems. And there are folks who are saying, no, these things don't really exist. I don't really see this. How could you assume that? And And I'm thinking to myself, Christians of all people should assume these things. We know better. We have the word of God. We understand That every single earthly system will be corrupt or leaning toward corruption. We know about the sinfulness of humanity, the deceitfulness of the heart, and we know about the power of the beast. Listen, when we vote, we've got to remember that no candidate and no party will ultimately save us. I've actually heard it said that when Christians vote... We're not voting for who we trust more as a leader as much as who we would most want to contend against. Because as followers of Jesus, we will always have to contend against the power of the beast. So as citizens of one true kingdom, we have to remember that the more our nation submits to the ways of the dragon, the more beast-like we become. The less human, the less humane. You think about how our nation was founded. You think about what happened with our sexual revolution. Sexual immorality now rampant and celebrated. You think about abortion. You know who kills their young? Animals kill their young. There's no sexual ethic among animals. You know what the animal kingdom does? The beasts, they take advantage of the weak. They take advantage of the poor. They take advantage of the ill and the elderly. They separate a pack. They chase them down. And whoever peels off because they don't have the stamina to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they eat them first. That's what beasts do. Think about how we've treated Immigrants, foreigners, the distrust that we have, that we have such clear teachings in the scriptures. Think about our prison system. The loneliness epidemic among the elderly. Think about our treatment of the mentally ill. More and more beast-like. A state, an empire, a country, a king, an emperor, a prime minister, a president submits themselves to God, then God himself will bring a little bit more of heaven to earth through their rule. And as nations and as leaders move further away from God and the way of God, the more beast-like they become and the more suffering they unleash. 
So when we vote, we are hoping that our vote brings us closer to the kingdom of God on earth. Sadly, it isn't easy to know how to vote. To me, America represents the world's greatest hope for freedom and equality and technological and medical miracles, advances in the arts and the sciences, protection against tyranny, and I love this country. I feel blessed by God to have been born here. I feel it's a great privilege and it comes with a great responsibility. That's how I feel about my country. I'm not one of these people who, who hates it and is always trying to criticize it. Anything. It's just not me. I've never been that. I never will be that. But I think that we would be naive to think that the beast hasn't been manifesting in our own land. So the choice as to which candidate will accomplish that isn't as easy as, the e that as either side thinks. Me personally, I can't vote for a party that supports abortion on demand. Personally, that's me. I'm also surprised that anyone can. I also can't vote for candidates that I think are morally bankrupt. You already see my dilemma forming. I also can't vote for a party that actively promotes sexual immorality and hurts the traditional family. I also can't vote for a party that fails to protect and care for the marginalized and the sick and the weak and the poor. Or isn't protecting the environment. Where does that leave me? See, when you vote, you've got to consider the platforms that each candidate stands on. And I've, I've read a bunch of both parties' platforms. They're stupid long, by the way, like 60-something pages for the Republicans, like 90-something for the Democrats. So I read less of, uh, of well, well, both of them this year around. But, uh, and I feel like personally, I have a, a I have a decision as to which one better represents what God has made me passionate about. But which issues are going to take precedence for you? You're going to stand before your God and answer for that. He is the one before whom we rise or fall. Some of you are going to vote primarily on the issue of the economy, thinking that that is the best way to lift people out of poverty. That's your passion. Others are going to vote for the leader that you think has the most integrity. Others are going to vote for conservative judicial appointments and others to protect the environment. Some want fast wealth generation. Others want an equitable distribution of wealth. Some of you are simply tired of holding your nose when you go to the ballot box. And so in an act of Christian conscience, you're going to opt out or you're going to write in someone that you know can't win. Which, by the way, you... I'm kind of announcing my candidacy today. It's going to be a short campaign. If any of you want to write me in, I've got really strong opinions on all of these things. I would love to talk to all of you about them and debate. Um, some of you might decide that is what you're going to do. And others of you think that not voting is a, is a dereliction of your duty as a citizen. You see how difficult and complex this gets. We've only begun to scratch the surface. I could do this for hours. So we have to exercise our right to vote in a way that will bring us closer to the heart of God and kingdom principles, and we have to reject the ways of the dragon and the beast. And then, Christians, we need to honor whoever God decides to put in office. 
We need to love our brothers and our sisters who disagree with you. We need to trust that God is still in control and that whatever he does, he does for our greatest good and for the expansion of his kingdom. See, as citizens of the one true kingdom, Christians, we must never give our first allegiance or put our ultimate hope in any earthly nation or leader. We all tend to look for salvation in human ingenuity and technology or economic prowess and we promote our human resourcefulness and our favored political ideology to save humanity. And the beast of the earth is proclaiming this from the rooftops and the, the beast of the sea is calling all of us to trust in his power and the dragon fights all the way to the lake of fire. You know, what happens if we lose power on Tuesday? Or like sometime in December, I guess, is when all this plays out. What happens if we lose power? Christians, we can't. Do you feel that? Do you believe that? We can't lose power. Power. We are citizens of another kingdom. We are children in the royal court of the one true king. And he has already won. So Christian, you are going to be tested by God in this trial. So God is still in control. Will you trust him? Revelations 13, 8, it says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Father, I'm just asking that you would give us ears to hear in this difficult and in this contentious season, in this season that takes such great wisdom, Lord, your children, they rise, they fall before you alone. You've called one to this and another to that. You've told us, Lord, not to stand in judgment of each other because you alone are our judge. Father, we're to honor the king. We're to love our enemies. We're to fight for justice, for the kingdom of God to be manifest. But Lord, we are to resist the dragon and his beasts with every bit of our fiber. And we're told that it calls for patient endurance and faithfulness. Lord, that's what I want for every single man and woman sitting in this room. No matter what our political affiliation, no matter what our passions happen to be, Lord, I'm praying that you would give us patient endurance and faithfulness in the midst of all of these challenges, Lord. Give us wisdom that we don't have on our own and teach us, Lord, to put our trust in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. May our names be written in his book. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.